What's up, wow? What's up, Kosu? How you guys doing? Thank you so much. I appreciate you, appreciate you, appreciate you. Hi. <laughs> it's funny, I was watching a little video there, and I'm like, man, that was one of those in my basement. We were preaching out the basement. For those of you who don't know, I'm actually super excited and pumped to be here because uh, one of the things is just to see community again in Massachusetts, in the Boston area, we haven't met in a year. And so um, we just got permission to use a certain venue. We were portable as a church. So to see this level of community, like my heart is fluttering with like joy to watch you guys commune and come together. It's just exciting. It really is. So just pray for us that when we come out, we'll be launching for Easter after a, a year long process. And so we're excited. We'll be having our first service when you guys will be having like 16 services, some baptisms. We'll, we'll be there. We'll catch up. Uh, yeah, so keep that in, in prayer. Uh, how many people are excited about today's message? Like, I, I pray that you came expecting to receive from God. And, and I want to challenge some of you who may not have been encouraged to do so. Anytime you're going to be around God's presence, and especially when you get into these kind of environments, you want to come expecting. Be, because typically you find what you expect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you're in a relationship, you actually find what you look for. <laughs> All right, this is not a marriage series. Let me get out of that. Um, so we're going to, my message today is entitled, there should have been handouts on your seats, and you'll see it for those of you who enjoy taking out notes. I believe that note takers, um, history makers, I, I, the, the brain, statistics teach us that you're going to remember about 15% about what I say. <laughs> That's horrible. That's horrible. Well, you do all this work and you put together these messages and you're only left with 15%. But when you take down notes, statistics say you'll remember like 55% of it just by putting a pen to that piece of paper. So there's something about that lead that might be a little bit more important than your head during that time period. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I, 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 I tickle myself. So today's message, right, um, I feel like I'm on assignment. And everywhere I've been going, I feel like God has been challenging me to challenge the body of Christ and the people to keep believing God because God is a good God. And, and the reason why I'm saying that, uh, David said that in Psalm, Psalm 119, he says, Lord, you are good and what you do is good. And, and the reason why that becomes important during a, a time like this is because we have come out of a hectic year. How many people know that 2020 was kind of cray-cray? Absolutely crazy. It was crazy. And we were dealing with all kinds of challenges, people, sicknesses. We've had people at our church get sick. We had people um, lose family members, lose dads. I, you probably have experienced or know someone in some proximity to your world that may have experienced that as well. So it's been extremely traumatizing for a lot of people. We To throw in there some social issues, and now uh, people are being challenged in that area. Then you have political challenges, and then on top of that, losing jobs and businesses. It's just been traumatizing for so many people. And the challenge with going through trauma is that if you're not careful, you'll go into your tomorrow living like you're still traumatized, even though you come out of it. It's in your Bible. It's in life. It's in general. The children of Israel are indicative of this. They, they, here is the children of Israel in the Old Testament. For those of you who have read uh, the book of Exodus, uh, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they were slaves for 400 years. And God has taken all of these people who are used to being, that's trauma. Yeah, anytime you're in bondage to anything, that's trauma. Yeah, whether it's your fault or not, it's traumatizing. And even though you go through it, God is going to place the responsibility on you to use your feet and hands to come out of it. 
Oh, that's a message right there. Just because I've been wounded and just because I've been attacked or might have been molested and been hurt as a child, even though other people perpetrated against me, when I become old enough, I can't keep blaming everyone who won't help me heal. I actually got to trust God to get healed. It's kind of like someone shooting you. If I shoot you, you can't expect the person who wounded and violated you to extract the bullets. You actually got to drive yourself to the emergency room and say, I got to get this out of me. Otherwise, my life is not worth living and I could lose my life simply because I won't help me heal. Now, this Puerto Rican is preaching right now. Welcome to the third service. Thank you for coming to Coastal Community Church. And shout out to Shayla and Pastor TJ. Love you guys dearly. So trauma, we all go through it. And I was telling them in the last service, and I think it's important to even take a note for it now, is that sometimes when you hear the word trauma, sometimes we think big, you know, the enormity of something. We think that big T traumas, you have to have suffered, you know, some kind of incarceration, drug abuse or something like that. Not necessarily so. Sometimes you can go through a handful of compounding small T traumas that over time affect your soul in such a way. And that's what I believe happened to a lot of people last year. We have become acclimated to what has occurred and it's a bunch of small t traumas. You're losing a job, an adjustment here. You're now a full-time teacher and a parent. Come on, talk to me, somebody. You know, I'm like, girl, if you leave it up to me, we both gonna fail. We need a tutor up in here. And, and so you, all these adjustments taking place and they're small T traumas. People are going against each other. People leaving church, quitting the body of Christ. All kinds of things taking place because of so many things. And it's not just some kind of major car crash that has to happen. We were affected with COVID back in the days. But, but just because you wasn't affected doesn't mean that you're not being affected by some level of trauma because of all the things that are around you. And the goal is not just to come out, but the goal is to actually go back after life, recognize that even though I've been hit, God is still good, and I need to open up my life to receive all that God has for me. Yeah, we don't want to live less than. You don't want to get out of prison and just think that the only experience I can have moving forward now that I'm free is a prison experience. For those of you who don't know my story, I was incarcerated when I was 16. All right, I'm 45 now. I just have to say that because sometimes you tell a story and they think, that happened last week? No, that happened many, many years ago. But my point is this, that can't be the best that God has for me. You don't get out of something that's chaotic like that and not expect to be, to do more, to become more. You, you know, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. And then, and then you got your cleats on and, and that's all happening. You, you out there on the field and we're going to put you on special teams. Your job is just to catch this ball and just run. We want to see, you know, some agility. We want to see if you got some kind of, we just want to see where you will fit if you even make this team. <laughs> and so the ball goes up, poof, it's up there. And then I catch the ball and I was so excited that I caught it. I didn't tell anybody, but I was like a five year old kid I'm like yes I caught it I didn't drop it I don't look dumb and then I start running and I'm running behind all these blockers and then there's the sounds of the collision of helmets and shoulder pads and it could be awfully intimidating when you ain't used to that stuff and this dude homeboy started coming around this corner and he just jumped in the air and bow he just hit me so hard I could feel him today. <laughs> Vibrations running through my body and I'm laying on the ground and I had like five people on top of me and I'm sitting there and most men want to know, did you drop the ball? No, I didn't drop the ball. I held on to that joker. It was the only thing to brag about because when I was on the ground, I remember thinking to myself as they were getting off, I never want to receive the ball again. 
I don't want to have anything to do with the ball. I know that the ball, you need the ball to score. And I know that you need the ball to, to get a touchdown. I know you need that to have victory. Without the ball, you can't even win at the game. But for me, because I had been hit so hard, I no longer wanted to receive. And I want you to know that that's what happens in life with so many people, that we eventually get hit so often and so consistent that we start defining life by the hit. And when God wants to do something in your life so that you can win and you can experience good, you don't want to receive the ball because the hits in life have been so hard. And I see this kind of attitude so often. People who are coming out of all of the crisis, they're praying, but they're not really expecting anything out of the prayer. They're seeking marriage counseling, but they don't really want the marriage to be healed. They're worshipers who are really worshiping, but they're not expecting God to do anything. And it is possible. This is no indictment against anybody. I'm telling you, I study humanity. I love human behavior and study why people do what they do. It is possible to go through hell and be hit and be hit and be hit. And then eventually you are mechanically going through the motions of Christianity. But now we stop praying that God would do anything big. We stop believing that God can do anything large simply because we're afraid to really receive anything good because of all the hits that we've experienced in the past. And so a lot of Christians are talking about God providing, but few actually expect the provision. So our struggle is not necessarily whether we're giving. I believe we do a lot of that. I think that our struggle coming out of all kinds of hits and trauma is not giving, but receiving. Can we receive all that God wants to do? Can we open up our, not just your hands, can you open up your heart? You know, you can get repetitively hit with blows relationally that the risk to love is scary. <laughs> Let your heart get broken, boo-boo. Let your heart, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It takes a risk to keep loving. Now you got to think about what God does to keep loving you and me. I'm going to keep loving them, and I'm going to keep loving them. And I know they're going to fail me at times, but the risk to love, I God is saying to all of us, because he would rather not incarcerate his heart and let his heart run the risk to love because your heart needs to be loved, as opposed to incarcerating your heart to protect you from being hurt, and therefore you never get loved. Oh, that's a nugget. You need to eat that like McDonald's chicken nuggets. That was good right there. No, that was good. That's, that's a whole message all by itself. So let's read the text. And Isaiah, for your handouts, you got handouts. I'm going to read this out my Bible. I don't care how you read the Bible as long as you read the Bible. I'm an old school, hard copy kind of a person. But I also have it on my phone and all that. Isaiah chapter 6 is the text today. The name of the message today is called New Year but Fresh Vision. New Year but Fresh Vision. Isaiah chapter 6. This young man was young. He's around. He was in his teens uh, during this time. Young people just know that God will use you. Whenever you're ready. Amen. Yeah. Whenever we can get through the shame of wanting to be associated with God at your early age, God will use you. And the sooner you get that revelation, the sooner God will begin to do things in you and then ultimately through you. Amen. Everybody that God used, he started, he tried to get their attention as soon as possible. That meant when they were young. He got David when he was young. He got Isaiah when he was young. He got Jeremiah when he was young. Eh, never mind. He got me when I was young. 
Yeah, 16 years old, incarcerated, didn't know anything about God, didn't know anything about church, didn't know anything about any of that. And thank God for people who go in churches, I mean, in prisons to do prison ministry So because they remember what the book says. Yeah, you do know what your Bible says. The Bible has a lot to say about people who are incarcerated. Remember those who are in prison as if you were their fellow prisoner. Oh, you don't know that's in there? Let me, let me give the people incarcerated a voice. Oh, it's in there. And most of your Bible was written by people who were incarcerated. Jesus was accused of something, technically had a record, although he was innocent. God will use you even though there's a scar in the life. God will use you even though there's a mess. But there's always a message that comes out of the mess. Don't be ashamed of your mess. Get healed of what you couldn't control. Because God will use the mess and turn it into a message to give him glory that he's working with you. Let me get out of that. Isaiah chapter 6. They, they told me this was the last service, so I was just like, oh, I might just give it to them and have them here for three weeks. <laughs> Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Are you getting anything out of this? In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him uh, were seraphims, those were angels, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, uh, well, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. That word glory has to do with God's weight, has to do with his abundance, has to do with how much God is and what he has, like his, his opulence, his, his, his richness is all tied into that word glory. And it said, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. This is what he sees. He's having this experience. Verse five is where the direction changes from looking up to now looking inside of him. And he says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king the Lord Almighty then one of the seraphims flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he had taken with tongs from the altar and with it he touched my mouth and said see this has touched your lips your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Oh, let me just slide this in there. One of the first things that God wants to do in your life is to set you free from guilt and shame. If there's anything that will hold you back, it, not, it won't necessarily be a noose that somebody puts around you or a chain that somebody puts around your ankle. What holds you back oftentimes are the invisible chains called guilt and shame. So anytime you're standing in the presence of God, one of the first things he wants to do is set you free, not just from sin, but the shame associated with it because it releases your heart to actually step up and be all that God wants you to be. Man, that's a message all by itself. And then he says, verse 8 so he goes from looking up at God to now looking at himself and then he looks out verse 8 then I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us look at God asking questions when he's omniscient all-knowing how can an all-knowing God ask questions because he's trying to get you to volunteer he's trying to get you to say Lord after what you did in my life and you made a difference I can make a difference and how many people know that you can't go make a difference unless a difference was made in your life? And you can't have a difference be made in your life unless you encounter the difference maker who's inside your life. And so he says, here I am, Lord. You can send me. Somebody say, send me. Send me. 
Because that's ultimately where we're trying to get to. But what you don't want to do is ignore this process. These three things. You could just jot it down. It's not in your notes per se because I'm going to call it something else. But he said, look up. He looked in. And then he looked out. He looked up at God. He had an encounter. He saw God a certain way, big, high, lifted up, and his train filled the robe of his train, filled the temple. He saw the weight of God's glory, and as a result of that reflection, it was mirror-like. He was like, whoa, I now know what I don't have because I'm seeing what he does have, and in order to get what he has, I got to let him enter my life. And so as a result, he began to look within, and God forgave him of his sin, and there's nothing like knowing that you are free because God set you free. Even if a person is trying to keep you incarcerated, even if someone's trying to manipulate you and leverage their love over your life, because you know how people do, I'll do that for you only if you love me. God will love you relentlessly. Whether you do right or you do wrong, somebody needs to hear that. The Bible says that Christ died for us while we were still sinning. In other words, he loved you, thought about you, died for you when you weren't loving him. And so God is loving you when you're right, and he's loving you when you're wrong. And that needs to be digested like a good pill, a gospel. <laughs> that, yeah, sorry. I'm always writing rhymes all the time. That's a really good uh, Let me get back to my nose. Uh, so he looks up. So he has this conviction by looking up. Then he gets cleaned by looking in. Then he gets called and he goes out. That's a good little nugget. Conviction, cleaned and called. Conviction because he looked up. Cleaned because he looked in as a result of looking up. And now called to move forward and make a difference in the world. And so I got three points that I'm going to give you today. Um, and number one is, is look up. It's upward vision. New year, fresh vision. The question that I want you to contemplate as you think about upward vision and looking up your encounter with God, my question to you is how do you see your relationship with God? How do you see God? Is God a small God in your life? Can God only do certain things? Because if he's a small God, you're going to pray in a small way. And when you run into complex situations and you need God to move, you're always going to run to someone else who sees God in a big way because you don't feel like you have the ability to pray because you don't see God in a big way. But I need you to know, just for the record, I love intercessory prayer. We just prayed for somebody that was out there uh, earlier today. So I love the, the body of Christ and them interceding and standing in the gap. But you don't always need 9,000 people to pray for you. That's wonderful. Please solicit it. Please ask for it. But in general, when you're in a crisis and you got to go to the ER, you need to know how to pray to a big God, so you got to release some big prayer requests. You got to learn that the God that you serve is big. How do I know? Look at what Isaiah says in the text. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was high. That's, that's the size. High and lifted up. Not low. He was a big God. He said, he said the, 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 the robe of his train filled the temple. Oftentimes, back in Isaiah's day, kings wore robes and they had long trains. It's like a wedding dress for those of you who don't know. That long train is not a choo-choo train. It's, it's the train, the fabric, the fabric that's back there. And back in the days, the longer the train, the bigger the kingdom. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I said this on Saturday night. I didn't say it all day today, but let me share it with you now. How many people seen uh, Aladdin? Okay, this is my best illustration to be able to give you. I got three kids, and so as a result, I've watched Aladdin like 18 times. But when, at, when Aladdin was trying to win Jasmine's heart, he wanted to persuade the father that he was a big king with a lot of weight behind him. And so when he went to go impress Jasmine, he came walking in with the genie. You remember that? When they kicked the door, Prince Ali, Ali Ababwa. You remember that? Yeah. So some, I don't know all the words. Down on one knee. 
He feasts the galloping wards. A hundred bad guys with swords and bring those goose to their lords. Oh, Prince Ali. And right behind him, he's got all, he's got 75 golden camels. Purple peacocks, he's got 63. Fabulous, Harry, I love the feathers. And when it comes to exotic type mammal, I'm telling you, he's got a zoo. It's a world-class menagerie, Prince Ali. And he's just going, and what, what was he doing? What was the whole point? What was, I'm so glad you got, you love that. That's not the point. Let's go back to the book. So in the scripture, what was the point? Aladdin was trying to persuade Jasmine's father that when your daughter marries me, she's not marrying a scrub. She's not marrying some crumb snatcher, some broke person. She's going to be connected to somebody who's a big king with a big train. Look behind me. I got elephants. I got a zoo. I got people throwing gold around. And when Isaiah looks up at heaven, he sees a big God where he said the robe of his train filled the temple and he saw the weight of God, the majesty of God. So my point is, scale this all the way to you. When you have an upward vision of God, your God, the God that you serve, the God that you love is a big God. And he does big things. So he's still healing today and he's still delivering today and he's still setting people free. And I don't care who you were smoking crack with last week, God can heal you, restore you, and then use you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's a big God, and you got to be able to scale that to your life. Are you looking at God the right way? Because if you don't see him big, you won't pray big. You won't expect big. And let's be honest, how many parents want to see their kids fail? I don't. I come from all kinds of trauma. Do you think that success in my home is seeing my son go to jail? I want to see my son break generational curses, graduate, mature, matriculate, be successful in all areas, spirit, soul, body, financially, all areas of my life. And why is it today that when we become Christians and get into the body of Christ, we got to play it safe and we can't believe God for big things and we can't believe God to do significant things in our life. That is a broken way of thinking. And you think like that when you haven't been on welfare. But for people like me coming from the hood, we come from nothing. And as a result, we are designed desiring to get out. So when I got saved, I needed to see God in a big way because I needed a big God to deliver me from a small past. All right, point number two, I got to move on. I hope you get something out of this. Point number two, he looked up. So look up, then he looked in. When I say look in, this is the inward vision. The question that I want you to meditate on is how do you see you. If I had to highlight these three points, because the next point is to look out. Oh, let me give you the, the note. There's a message note in your point. So let me give you the note for the last point. Put that on the screen really quick. When you live, when you have a low view of God, you will live life on a low level. But when you have a lofty view of God, you will live your life on a higher level. Okay, point number two is inward vision. How do you see you? If I had to highlight any one of these three points, it would be this point right here. Because if the enemy can't stop you from seeing God in a significant way, he will do everything in his power to damage how you see you. Because it doesn't matter what God wants to do, because if you see yourself as nothing and insignificant and can't be used and God doesn't love me, et cetera, et cetera, you will never step out to do anything, become anything, receive all that he wants to do because you don't see yourself appropriately. How, sister, how do I know? Isaiah, he looks up and he says, whoa, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people. You all are just like me. <laughs> That's a message. Stop judging the people around you. You just like them. And so we all need God. We all need God. We're all unclean. And God God says, I can't leave you like that if I'm going to use you. 
So he heals him of his sin. And isn't this what Jesus Christ did? The ultimate sacrifice on the cross was to heal you and to deliver you, hear me out, not just from the behaviors of sin, but also the shame associated with sin that oftentimes scars your ability on how you see yourself appropriately. Shame and sin are cousins. And they're related, and it's not just the behavior. Religion will make church about what you do all the time. But if you can fix the inside of you and see yourself the way God sees you, you will minimize the sin in your life. It's about how you see yourself. A little, oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm good? I'm good? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, 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 when you read your Bible... This is going to help you out. Write down a homework assignment. I want you to read Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2. This has everything to do with how you see you. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he said these famous words. How many people remember? He said, it is finished. E-D. He's not going back to complete work he already completed. It's finished. So when you end up reading your Bible post-resurrection... So from the book of Acts, and you read all the rest of them, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, don't make me, I quote all, you just keep going. You start reading them, the language is written from a finished work perspective. Don't miss this little nuance, because it's not a nuance, it's a powerful concept, because the book is showing you that when Peter and Paul begin to write, they're looking back at what Jesus did, indicating you're not going to get cleaned, you are already clean. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says it this way, and that's what some of you were, but you were washed. You're not going to get a washing. You were already washed. It says you were justified, E-D. You're not going to get made right. The moment you said right, yes to Christ, you were made right. So in other words, you're not waiting to get saved. Dying and go, sorry, front row, I'm spitting really good. 23 and me all over you, homeboy, bless him. You're not going to get saved. You are already saved. And now you're just walking out your salvation and your body might be delayed in picking up some of these behavior patterns. But just because your body is vacillating doesn't mean you lost your salvation. Your position in Christ is secure, even though your condition in Christ may fluctuate. Oh, my God, I hope you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth. This is so important. You got to see yourself the way God sees. Put the picture up. I got a picture back there. Put that picture up. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, if, I, if I ran you all, through, if I had time, I could run you all throughout your Bible and show you how the image that God sees you in is typically not the image you see you in. Let me give you some verses. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 says, Nay, in all these things, we are more than a conqueror through him who loved us. He already loved you. The issue is when you look in a mirror, you don't love you. Ah. So you're struggling to get a reality of something that he's already given you. If I, uh, we can go on. First John 4, 4. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. He sees you greater than the world sees you and sometimes than you see you. What mirror? What are you looking at? Because if you're looking at the wrong thing, you will eventually live out of how you see you. Where's your reflection, young lady? Where's your reflection, young man? It can't be limited to Instagram. 
It's got to be in the pages of the completed work of what Jesus has already done. He's already done the work. You are already healed. You are already saved. You are already delivered. You are already beautiful. You are already loved. Why? Because it is finished. Now, I see this one story. Let me share this one story with you. I had this dog named Charity. Rest in peace, Charity. Charity died. But Charity was given to me by somebody who trained her for, for a blind person. She failed the test because she had a bad hip. But Charity was no slouch. Charity can turn on the lights, open the refrigerator. Charity could pee and poop on command. Charity was that dog. <laughs> you go outside, you'd be like, Charity, it's cold out here, man. Gotta go now. That's the phrase. Gotta go now. And Charity would be like this. Boom. Drop it. Pow. We'd be right back in the house. You gotta love Charity for that. So I'm the only one at home, at home one day. Charity comes up to me. And Charity says, well, this is what I discovered years later that she said, I got to go poop and I got to go pee and you need to take me. And I, I'm busy, Charity. I'm busy. I'm on a conference call. I'm busy. I'm busy. And I ignored Charity for an hour and a half. Bad move, Pastor Emmy. So now I can, ooh, fall? What is that smell? It's my grandmother. That's just, it's fall? And so I go up in the other room and I see all oh, this big old chocolate stain in there. It's nasty. It was looking like chocolate milk. Nasty. Yeah, you should have came to the other service. I didn't use that term, so this one was kind of nasty. But, but that's what I saw. When I had all of this whole experience, when we got those carpets, those carpets were brand new. When they were brand spanking new, I behaved like they were new. So when I, I said, oh, my God, I told the kids, we got a brand new carpet. Take your shoes off. Take your feet off if you can. Detach them and walk on your ankles because I want to keep this carpet clean. I want to protect it. And because I saw it as clean, I protected it to be clean. But the moment Charity pooped on the carpet, I saw it as dirty. So when people start, no matter what I did to clean it, I saw it as dirty because I knew what had happened. And as a result, when people would come over, do we need to take off our shoes? Nah, man, you could bring all that salt, all that snow, all that dirt. You could bring it in. Why? Let's continue to make it dirty because it doesn't matter. I already see it as dirty. And so I treated it the way that I saw it. When I saw it as clean, I behaved like it was clean. But when I saw it as dirty, I treated it like it was dirty. And I need you to know a lot of times we're struggling to change our behavior, not because you're not trying to change the outside and what's right. You don't see the inside right. You are already a king, young man. You are already a queen, young man. That's Revelation chapter one. You are a king and a priest through him who loved you. So you're not trying to become something that you already are. God sees you as being blessed. You need to see your way that way. And when you do, you behave exactly what you see. Okay, my last point. Number three. Number three. Are you getting anything out of this? Number three. And, and, don't, and don't forget that homework assignment. Read that. Because when you read Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, you'll see a lot of ED language. ED. You're already received in the beloved. You've already been predestined. You're already loved. You're already blessed. You're not trying to get it. You already are. Point number three, he looked out. And the question that I want you to contemplate, remember, he looked up, he looked in, he looked out. This is indicative. This is all in your Bible, guys. When it comes to this whole, you can't, don't break the, the pipeline process. What do I mean by that? It has to start here, then here, then here. What we need to do is we need to stop trying to see here and then run out there and change the world after seeing him when in reality, you don't even know who you are. If I had time, we talked about Jesus answering the great, you know, the lawyer came to him, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? He gave him these three responses. 
I'm going to give you one commandment that we're going to split in two that's going to affect three relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Why? Because the only way to learn how to love is to look at him because he is love. He first loved us. Now we can love God back. As a result of that relationship, if I don't receive it, I'm going to have a hard time loving you because I can only give you what I have. If you ask me for $10 and I got five, guess how much you get, baby? You get five. You can only get what I got. And a lot of people are trying to, in a codependent way, we think we have received the love of God. We're trying to change the world. We're not even loving ourselves with the same love that he gave us. So the way that it looks is that I got to receive his love and really receive it. And when I know that I'm fully loved, you have no choice but to get what I got, which is all love. This is why when it talks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, husbands, you're going to love your wife like you love your own body. Because he who loves his wife loves himself. It doesn't go God other people than you. It's a misconception. And it's not selfish. And I don't have time to explain all that. But my point is, you got to learn how to receive his love so you can give that thing. And that's what changes the world. So the few questions that I want you to contemplate on is, how do you see your surroundings and the people around you? Because sometimes when we have a cynical approach, and cynicism is birthed out of trauma, Okay, when you don't believe anything is going to get better, it's because you've been hurt. And you got to get healed from the hurt so that you can believe that things can change. But there's no way to believe that you can change, but then the girl at your job can't change. There's no way to believe that God can transform your life. How in the world can I say that God can change me? And I, had to, I did time and I went through rehabilitation and I got to get a lot of healing from my trauma. And how can I be cynical when somebody walks into a church and says, yo, I just got out of jail. I'm like, yo, welcome to the club. Because at some point we all just got out of jail. How do you see your future? These are questions that are in your notes, but I just want you to contemplate because we're talking about looking out. And oftentimes when we look out and we think about our future, most people who get saved, they struggle and define their lives. I'm not, I'm not opposed to the struggle because we all struggle, but I am opposed to you defining your life by the struggle. Because God is not just concerned about your history, sugar. He is concerned about your destiny. And he will point you ahead to what he's trying to bring you to. And in the process of pursuing destiny, history can be healed. But if you spend all day with the baggage of yesterday and expect perfection without moving forward, you'll never make strides in your life. The goal is to recognize I'm getting healed through the journey and I'm getting better as time progresses. But I'm going to move forward and do what God has called me to do and keep a lot of repentance and forgiveness in my pocket because I'm going to have to say sorry a lot of times along this journey. And then my last one, looking out, outward vision. How do you see the future of your church? The body of Christ is the only thing that God gets credit for. Like, man, a human didn't create the church. Jesus did. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. No one started the church but Jesus, so therefore no one can deconstruct the church but Jesus himself. And he's not going to deconstruct it because it's his bride, it's his body, and he's coming back for his body. Don't lose connection. If you're watching me online, do not lose connection with your church. I know we're in a COVID season. I know some of you are still reluctant to come out. That's okay. Shame off you. I don't care. But at some point, you got to stay connected. Stay connected somehow. Small groups. Stay connected somehow virtually. But you stay connected and you don't depart from the body of Christ because it is your lifeline. If my finger gets cut off in the middle of me doing some kind of construction work and my finger falls off, there's nothing in me that says leave my finger there. That finger is a part of my body. 
And if the body, the, the finger stays on the ground, the finger will die because it's not connected. If I grab that finger and bring it back to the hospital, they're going to do everything in the world to attach it back to the body because the body is the thing that's going to pump life back to the finger. And some of you think you could be detached from the body and expect to stay alive and to stay vibrant. And the reality is life gets flooded back into your life when you stay connected to the body of Christ. All right, I'm going to pray for you right now. Right, did you get anything out of today's word? Look up, look in, and look out. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. And I thank you because this is a defining moment for a lot of people. We repent if we defined our lives by the trauma of yesterday. We know it hurts. We acknowledge that it hurts. We acknowledge that it's real. But we do acknowledge that we will process that pain and not define tomorrow by it. I thank you, Lord, because people are moving forward right now in the name of Jesus. Today they will walk out and say enough is enough of defining myself by how I saw myself and what happened to me and what my last boyfriend said about me and what my last girlfriend said about me. I thank you because I see myself in Christ and as a result, I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. We hit reset. Holy Spirit, take this word today and stitch it to our hearts where the word becomes flesh, becomes real. Begin a healing work healing work. Shame off you no matter what the trauma was. Shame off you no matter what the behavior was, but you got to get healed within, otherwise you will repeat the behavior. Heal right now, Holy Spirit. Move in this place. Blow in this place. Restore in this place. Heal marriages right now in this place. Relationships in this place. Allow us to be fluid with our apologies and fluid with our sorries and not be ashamed in any way to apologize, to pick up the phone and say sorry, to pick up the phone and text somebody and say, I'm sorry about that, because in that apology there is healing and the beginning of life again. Do a good thing right now. This is not wasted time. Everything matters. And while I'm praying right now, maybe you're here and maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If that's you, I would love to invite you to know Christ. And I don't mean religiously, I mean personally. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day. The day that you got released into the world, I call that your earth date. The day you give your life to Christ, that is your real birth date. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If that's you and you say, Emmy, pray for me because I've never fully made that commitment, but today is my day. I just want you to slide your hand up so I can see it so I know who I'm praying for. Then you can put it back down. Is there anybody across this room as I look around to make Jesus? I see that. God bless you. This service was for you, and I'm glad that we had a chance to connect with me. Is there anybody else? Do me a favor. Let's pray this together with him. Everyone pray this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, I surrender my entire life to you. I repent of my sin, and I make you Lord, and I make you Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and begin to use my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me say one more thing, guys. I got saved in prison when I didn't know God. I got baptized in prison. I got spirit baptized in prison. Every encounter came. I led my wife to the Lord from that prison visiting room. I led my mother or my sisters and my brother in that prison visiting room. Life change can take place even if you're in the midst of pain. Next week is a water baptism. If you've never followed the Lord, don't wait. This is your time.